Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens Emmy Nomination Prediction Edition, four of six. We're almost all the way through this, guys. As ever, this episode is brought to you by Big Little Lies. In the second season of Big Little Lies, trouble returns to Monterey, California, as relationships unravel, loyalties erode, and the potential for emotional and bodily injury still looms large. The Hollywood Reporter hails the cast as TV's best ensemble. I would say that, as ever, doesn't really apply. <laughs> we're, we're brought to you by HBO, as ever, but it changes Fair. every week, so Big Little Lies didn't sponsor us. That, that is true, but again, that means next week we we got to get, like, run or curb or insecure or something because they've they've nailed they've nailed what we're talking about with the sponsored read every week millions and millions of little screens can't you shut up i'm busy boy what a great show give me a head to the clicker our recap of the biggest news items from this past week guys today uh it was trending on twitter but there's an announcement that John Mulaney will be bringing back the Sack Lunch Bunch, but not to Netflix. Explain this to me. No, I can't, um, I can't really explain it. I, I feel like this is in terms, of, in terms of exactly how it happened and the logistics of which this deal went down. I, I, I would probably have to study pretty extensive law, uh, entertainment law to, to really knock it out for you. But um, I will say that it is at least part of a miniature trend in which Netflix original programming are transferring over to cable homes for future runs. Uh, we saw this with Tuca and Birdie, which finally got renewed by Adult Swim. This isn't exactly a renewal, but it is a continuation of something that began on Netflix. Uh, usually that becomes a very difficult thing because of Netflix commitment to keeping stuff in house. Um, but their main priority when they when they want to protect their property is to keep it off competing streaming services. So the fact that this is showing up on Comedy Central, that he's going to do future specials on Comedy Central, that might be kind of how this ended up getting done. Um, but I will say that uh, I don't, in terms of the long-term benefits for Viacom, the parent company of Comedy Central, I don't fully understand uh the importance or the significance of this unless there's other conversations in the work for series or uh, other John Mulaney related uh, content. So with the thought being that anything that airs on comedy central is very difficult to view unless you're watching comedy central. Correct. And, and that <laughs> the, 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 the long held belief um, regarding Comedy Central original programming, the, the, the detriment is that we can't, that, that a lot of the audiences who would normally want to watch it haven't been able to because there hasn't been an online outlet for it. There hasn't been an easy one-to-one, hey, if you want to watch Comedy Central show, this is where you go. Um, and the fact that, you know, if Mulaney still isn't available on streaming, if they have to keep it off whatever Viacom streaming service that, that bundles all of its cable networks into one streaming platform, you know, the, the revised CBS All Access, if you will, if they have to keep it off that service, then we still don't know where or how the people who love Mulaney and love, you know, that specific type of comedy programming are going to find it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this develops and whatever Viacom is planning behind the scenes uh, comes to light. So. When they get their HBO Max. When they get their <laughs> when they get their HBO Max, which is still a question I don't have answered regarding Duke and Birdie. I still don't know because. Season two airs on Adult Swim. I don't know if 
those episodes can air on HBO Max until a certain time has elapsed, like for years or however long, you know, the Netflix contract stipulates. So Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting, but I'm excited for more Sack Lunch Bunch. Yeah. This is in whatever form, wherever it may be. Yeah, I'll be able to see it. So I'm very excited. I'm thrilled. I The Sack Lunch What's Bunch. Let's talk to kids about death. Come on, let's go. I mean, that is like a Ben Travers specialty item. Wait, are you saying you'll be able to see it because you get screeners? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to other streaming news, then your favorite streamer, Disney Plus, dropped a very well-renowned musical last Friday in anticipation of, uh, of July 4th weekend, Hamilton. Uh, and Libby, you just sent me this over before we started recording. But the fact that 70, there was a 74% jump in downloads for Disney Plus uh, yeah. around this Hamilton uh, debut. Uh, there was some talk that it might be competing uh, for Oscars based around the, a, a documentary uh, called Give Him Hell, Harry that had an actor uh, then nominated for, for an Oscar. They changed the rules in 1997 so that you can't have uh, pre-recorded stage performances get nominated for uh, acting categories at the Oscars. But then the Emmys weighed in and said, You can come and play with us. <laughs> you can play in our uh, variety special pre-recorded um, category. The, the, the very luminous <laughs> and, uh, and, and competitive variety, pre-recorded variety special. Everybody wants to play there. That's where the heat <laughs> is. That's where the buzz is. That's where you're like, this is the race I'm paying attention to on Emmy morning. That's why they don't announce it live. They just send it out via press release. Hey, Laurel Leaves are Laurel Leaves, aren't they? Moving on to our primary topic today. Uh, we teased a little bit in the intro for in our read for Big Little Lies, but we're talking about best drama series. And I mentioned it before we started recording, but you guys are fairly similar in your thinking. Um, you both have succession in the top spot, um, followed in some order by The Crown, Ozark, Better Call Saul, Handmaid's Tale, and Westworld. And then the only point at which you guys diverge is on your, in your last two picks. Uh, Libby, you have Pose and Stranger Things. Ben, you have The Morning Show and Big Little Lies. This is the people's court. Go. <laughs> Convince me. Well, I mean, I think a lot of my very reserved judgment for Big Little Lies comes from the fact that we just don't know that much about it, and yet actors are a huge part of the branch, and if they respond to it in the acting categories as we kind of expect them to, sort of expect them to, then I would think that they would be willing to vote for it in the top eight now nominees for Best Drama Series, uh, at least over something like Stranger Things um, and, and Pose, if only because Pose doesn't seem to be as well seen. It doesn't seem to get the ratings that the other two do. Um, and Stranger Things, you know, is it largely has its moment when it comes out. Like, that's a show that's been rewarded already with sheer popularity and enthusiasm and fandom and everything else you can imagine. Not to mention a Peabody, which it's only won once. I don't know who would ever think that it's won more than once. That doesn't happen. Um, but no, that's... It does, that's, that's, just rarely. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my kind of 
general thinking as of today for Big Little Lies, but I do think that the that the bottom half of this category is pretty loose. Like I, I don't have a lot of them kind of set in stone because when you look at it, there are so many previous nominees, as we talked about, I think last week, mm-hmm. that could legitimately make a run just based on the enthusiasm being felt right now. And again, that includes This Is Us, that includes Killing Eve. Um, I think that even includes something new like the Mandalorian, which we can talk about a little bit later if we want, but um, those shows again, that are, that are just very popular and get pretty good ratings and have got enough awards credibility to be legitimately considered here. There's a lot of them. There's much more than just the four ish open slots. Yeah. I would agree with all of that. This, this category is sort of a mess. I have four shows that I feel absolutely certain will get nominated. And then about a dozen that could fill out the rest of the category, it feels like. I mean, Succession is my number one with a bullet, obviously. It feels like it has momentum and just is at the right place at the right time. And of course, Ozark's getting in. And I think Better Call Saul and The Crown are also locks for this category. Then it gets a little dicey. Like, I have The Handmaid's Tale right now in my four spot just because it feels like a show they keep putting in there. They like the aesthetic of it. They like the performances in it. Um, It feels very of the moment, even though that moment is now kind of like two years old. Um, It does feel like something that that they will cling to thinking this is very current um, when when it's quickly kind of not. Um, But then, yeah, there's so many other things to fill out the category. There's like, are they going to continue to embrace Westworld? Is Pose, which which aired a year ago now, going to have enough um, long enough legs to to kind of make it back into drama series? Stranger Things, which apparently is beloved enough to win a Peabody this year, you know. And yeah, This Is Us, and like I know there's a bunch that I'm forgetting. One of the hardest things to predict, at least on my end, when it comes to these shows that are kind of in that that bottom tier that clearly don't have a ton of momentum to make them locks but still have enough um you know awards credibility to keep them in the conversation the hardest part is knowing when it's kind of jump the shark for academy voters because you know for a lot of critics westworld is kind of faded off we're like i get it now you've had enough chances season two is really rough season three we wanted to believe could start over and then you let it go. But there's still a lot of people within the Academy and a lot of people in the world, obviously, who still keep up with that show and still love that show. So we don't know how they're going to react. The same can be said about, you know, something like Killing Eve, where it was, it's been a sensation the first two seasons and the third season had a clear drop off in quality, but yeah. may not matter to a lot of voters if they just kind of stick with what they're going for. And This Is Us has been something that a lot of people have tried to say will go away even in season two and season three as, you know, it's maintained its popularity, but people weren't as buzz crazy about it. And yet, you know, it's, it's hanging around, it's hanging tough. So it's just so crowded that it's, it makes it very hard to just kind of judge. Okay. They've had enough. Well, I think part of that is, you know, because of COVID we are in an unprecedented time for trying to predict the Emmy awards and without chatter, it is really impossible to tell what, kind of excitement there is out there for people. And so we fall back on kind of statistics. Like we know that shows that have already been nominated have a better chance of being nominated again. Um, 
all of these things, but but eventually you get to a point where you have so many so many shows out there that have like one or two of those factors that they're a step up from having no shot at all. Like Ben said, they have awards credibility, but it's just it's just a matter of um, of of which way the wind blows. It's especially difficult for something like Big Little Lies because this wasn't the category they were playing in the last time they were around here. They were uh, they were playing in a, a much shallower limited series pool. Um, so yeah, it's it's this is this one's really up in the air, and um, I I I won't feel comfortable with it until I know what who the nominees are, and and then we can kind of. Uh, extract that information from there. Well, I was say, you kind of, you spoke to one thing I was going to bring up, which is sort of the unprecedentedness of this uh, FYC season, as it were. And then additionally, Big Little Lies uh, jumping from limited series to drama. But the other thing that's crazy about this category, and we touched on it a little bit last week with uh, especially the uh, actress race, um, lead actress race, is the fact that a lot of these shows weren't competing last year so like you have you have this like gap and so now you have all these shows that were previously nominated with these shows that were nominated in their absence and now there's just too many shows that have historically been nominated competing in one season as, as it were yeah it's one of the reasons I'm, i i agree with libby about handmaid's tale i feel like it's probably pretty strong if only because in what was technically an off year a lot of the categories that still managed to qualify in for like individual episodes or individual achievements, they still nominated it as much as they could. They, they got a lot of nominations. Um, so I would think that they would, they'd be willing to, to stick with it, but it does make it much harder to tell, especially for the newbies for stuff like the morning show from Apple TV for the Mandalorian for even something like Amazon's hunters, which I, I kind of think has fallen off and would be a pretty big surprise if it made it in the final eight. Um, but it just makes it a much more difficult year to to predict anything like that. <laughs> to just have faith in any of those being like, yeah, 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 for sure. That's that's it. We we know that. Right. Right. Yeah, and it, it'll be also be interesting, at least with handmaids, to kind of use it as somewhat of a metric for how important it is to be airing episodes during the voting period or close to the voting period, because you know, a lot of people explained some of its success last year in that limited capacity because it was airing episodes as you know the, the campaign as the, you know, the voting and the campaign and everything was in its home stretch um whereas this year it doesn't have a season to air so it's it's relying on something from that aired a year ago to maintain uh people's interests and to be remembered and to you know people to, to hold it up against all these shows that they just saw so if it does dip, we might know why. And if it doesn't, it could point to, you know, just a larger kind of loyalty towards these shows. Which to that end, I mean, if Ozark and say Westworld do maybe unexpectedly well, maybe that is because they released within the time that we've been kind of in lockdown, um, top of the mind, top of mind and all of that. I don't expect that to happen. I think if Ozark has a spike, it'll be because Ozark has been building up momentum for years, but um, we'll see. You know what they say, top of mind, top of ballot. Well, I don't wow. know if anybody says that, but <laughs> I do want to use that as a quick springboard because voting is happening right now. And no springboards. No springboards. happening as we're talking and when <laughs> this episode segues. first debuts. 
So please, people, remember great dramas. Mindhunter, definitely worthy of being considered here. Ben, it doesn't you have stole a shot my, hell. You stole, I was going to throw it to you guys, and I was going to say, as the Rube, I literally, I was going to say, as the Rube, tell me what I should be thinking about that isn't in these, in these eight you know, predicted nominees. What's something you want to stump for? Give me, give me one of those. Give me one. Changed your segue. Yeah, give me one of those. (laughs) Give me. You can't say. You can't say all. You're in a perfect world. By the way, you you have to to pick and choose. Said I can only pick one, so I said Mine Hunter. I'd say New Pope and Undone, but you know, I'm only allowed one. (laughs) I'll pick up. I'll I'll pick up the. um, I'll pick up the torch for Undone. I think there was really nothing else like it on television. Um, It's visually stunning, and it's telling a really intricate and interesting story um, about the intersection of like family and tradition and mental illness. And uh, there's just so much to unpack there. And it it just, not enough people have seen it or, or are talking about it. And you know what? Consider Euphoria. Like that's another show that is unlike anything else on TV. Um, Zendaya is amazing and perfect. And you know, Worth worth mixing it up there. Those are my picks, I guess. Just I, I have a one. terrible brain and I can't I remember anything. I said one. Else. I said one, and all of you are just throwing all these shows out. I I said one. So I said undone, and then also Zendaya. Yeah, okay. I'd support Zendaya, and I would also support David Makes Man, which is Terrell Alvin McCraney's own series that I honestly need to revisit because I haven't seen it since it first debuted. I think it's South by Southwest like two years ago. And then I got through the, the rest of it slowly, but um, it's, it's, it's one of those that's kind of like rectify in its construction that you can kind of just sink into it. Um, it's not trying to like hurdle you through a story, but it is still very gripping emotionally and, and kind of lets you dwell on a lot of important subjects. Um, it's also just got great performances kind of embedded within it. So I, I'd love for more people to check that out, but another one that, that just seems like it's, it's too far off the radar for Emmy hopes. So to be clear, your perfect nominations list would have Succession, Ozark, Mindhunter, New Pope, Undone, David Makes Man, and The Morning Outsider. Show. Outsider. No. Outsider. <laughs> no. no. That is not. Outsider, top of ballot, top of mind. That's it's always there. That's fine. It's always there. He, that's going to come up soon. Don't worry. That's a great segue, Ben. <laughs> I'm trying. I was trying to do some great segues. Uh, speaking of The Outsider, uh, do you guys want to just maybe spotlight one or two of the potential directing or write, writing uh, noms that you see happening? Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, you don't use the term lock. I know you don't enjoy that word, Ben, but at least like an, an episode that's been submitted in the directing and writing categories, you're like, this is a, there's a very strong likelihood that this gets nominated. Oh, great. Uh, well, directing-wise, I'd, I'd go with Vince Gilligan for Better Call Saul's Bagman episode. Um, I feel like, again, there's a lot of favoritism shown to creators and showrunners and, you know, big-name producers. Gilligan could be looking at, you know, a couple of nominations, I mean, a handful of nominations, honestly, this year, if El Camino can do well, um, as we talked about when we were discussing TV movies and limited series. But, I mean, Bagman was an incredible episode of television that also spotlighted a lot of the specific techniques that have 
bolstered Better Call Saul. So I think Succession is being really smart about what they're submitting. They submitted two episodes for direction. One is Hunting, uh, I believe is the episode title, better known as Bore on the Floor. Um, another is the finale. Um, I can't remember the... Uh, this will end in tears. This is not the time for tears, I believe. Um, which is very interesting. Something I discovered very randomly uh, going down a deep dive is that both of the titles of six, the finales of Succession's first two series, or first two season finales, are from the same poem that I'd never heard of before. Um, I don't know. That, that's, your, that's your fancy little tidbit. And if I care enough, I will look it up and try and remember what Nobody it is. is ever missing. But, Nobody's ever missing was last year. And this, this is not for tears. This is not for tears from the same poem. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, means we could probably, uh, probably doesn't mean anything. Uh, well, you know, we could, we could narrow down maybe. Uh, um, but yeah, I think for, for direction, I, I would put my money on, um, on, the finale and the same goes for writing uh, that episode. They only submitted that in writing. So I think that's, that's definitely a lock there, but I know I'm jumping the gun. Um, there are definitely a lot of, of great directing options out there uh, to continue on what we were mentioning before. I would say keep an eye on the handmaid's finale. Uh, Mayday was submitted in both um, in both writing and direction but they did submit another episode uh, of the season uh, entitled Bear Witness, which notably was directed by Dana Reed, who was one of the only women uh, nominated last year, also for Handmaid's Tale. Um, so they, they clearly like her work. Well, I, just, I think we're going to see a lot of the same nominees that dominate the drama series category kind of taking over this and, you know, looking at the ballot, like Libby mentioned, Succession was being very, um, very targeted with their submissions. They're only putting two on the ballot, but something like Better Call Saul put eight on the ballot. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of blanket coverage can result in multiple nominees, which is, is exactly what they're going for, but it can also really box out anything that's not quite as strong from other shows. So I, I don't think there's like, <laughs> it, it, absolutely breaks my heart and kind of blows my mind when thinking about it purely from like a, like a, a subjective viewers perspective that something like that someone like David Fincher and Andrew Dominic and Carl Franklin, who put together an exquisite season of television and mind Hunter season two, like that, that is, it is direction is such a strong attribute for that show. It's, it's unbelievable. And so many directors that you speak to just out in the world, talk about watching that show for inspiration, for fun, for whatever it is, because they're just so in awe of how it's put together. Um, and I don't think any of those people are going to get nominated, which is a real bummer. The same could be said for um, Paolo Sorrentino for The New Pope. I don't think he really has much of a shot because that show does, doesn't have the ratings, but it is such a gorgeous show and it is so like beautifully mapped out and the performances he evokes are obviously really, really strong. Um, and then something like somebody like Leslie Linkerglotter, who you would think might be getting some sort of an edge for having a finale for bringing something home uh, through Homeland, bringing something home. Um, 
I don't think that's going to happen either. I know that Showtime's done some excellent FYC campaigns around town to try to get recognition for its actors, for the show, for its final season, but that seems like a really kind of difficult thing to happen. And at the same time, I could see somebody like Taika Waititi sneaking in for The Mandalorian because, again, like the people who are voting in this block are definitely paying attention to that show and that director and that new network. So maybe that's the kind of thing that'll sneak in as opposed to some of these, you know, people who are doing great work, but are known and probably a little bit forgotten at this point. Uh, a quick tangent Another for one? all the, for all the poetry lovers out there. Uh, the poem is dream song 29 by uh, John Berryman, who always gets, who gets name dropped in a lot of uh, indie songs, uh, fans of the hold steady or Ockerville river will uh, recognize uh, his name. Um, but yeah, it, stuck they between are. Stations. Yeah, stuck between stations. Do you know music, Ben? Oh, I'm, I'm a huge music head. Hey, that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> yeah, we're recording. I don't care. I'm not going to let you lie to the world. <laughs> huge music head. Lies. He's also referenced in... Uh, in Tracy Let's Play, uh, August Osage County. We're talking about poetry. Yeah. We're talking about poetry. Yeah. Now we talk about some writing noms. There you go. Now the writers now are poets. Segue. Remember when the Hold Steady showed up on Billions? I do. It was weird. What are some of the, not locks, but things that you strongly think will, will make it into to the writing uh, noms? Listen, this ballot is like 250 entries long. I don't know how actual voters deal with it. Like it's, it's just, it's a lot to take in. I mean, Jesse Armstrong for the succession finale, as close as a thing to a lock as, as could be. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's as close to a lock as I have, which it seems, may not, uh, may not be for tears, but it is for the Emmys. Emmys. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's, that's basically a lock. He won last year for uh, the season one finale. So I see no reason why it wouldn't at least get nominated this year. Because the interesting thing about the ballad is they don't say who wrote the episode. What? Which is weird. <laughs> what? Yeah. The writing do, ballot. They do spotlight the director, the name of the director on the directing ballot and the episode. But on the writing, they just spotlight the name of the episode, which is very strange. What? So strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, look at the baby Rube. We broke his brain. Not to be repetitive, but I would say that Better Call Saul is close to the L word category uh, here. Um, I would also backtrack a little bit and say that The Crown is more of a lock for directing, considering it won the last two years, or for its first two seasons, I should say. Yeah. though it has been nominated both seasons for writing as well. So you'd feel pretty good about Peter Morgan's chances this year from there. It gets, I don't know. It gets dicey. Like it's that same thing where they, if they do vote multiple episodes in, it could take over. And like Ozark hasn't necessarily broken in here, but this seems like a key category for it to succeed. If it's going to try to make a run um, handmaid's tale, you know, same deal, but it needs to show, it needs some support needs to, you know, push, like sure up its, its nomination tally. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd, again, love to see Mindhunter get in. I'd love to see uh, Undone get recognized for writing, especially, because it's it's uh, a, a very 
a tricky show to kind of structure and um, they did a great job with that. Uh, New Pope, love it. Outsider Pilot is Leo's only favorite episode of The Outsider. My Uh, only favorite. It is my only favorite episode. Oh God, I gotta do it. Libby, now's the time in the show when I Google the word Quibi. Oh, you're gonna love what you find this week. And see what's happening. Well, the second thing that pops up is the article that was released yesterday uh, by Vulture um, titled, Is Anyone Watching Quibi? Uh, which what a has delightful. Great title. A delightful story that was. Great title. Some exceptional passages. Uh, oh. I mean, I, it's, become, it's become sort of uh, your nom de plume on uh, a Slack, but yeah. uh, the idea of being an entertainment enthusiast. Uh, and that creator Meg Whitman is not one. <laughs> I think the Katzenberg quote, I, I think the Katzenberg poll is, is even better, honestly. Um, I mean, that it's, it's worse. If by better, you mean worse? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, uh, is, uh, is, even more <laughs> du- is even more schadenfreude uh, inducing, let's say. Uh, for our listeners, the, the quote to which uh, Libby is, is referring is, uh, the idea that uh, Katzenberg is sort of dated in his references and said that he wanted Quibi to have uh, these touchstones of pop culture, such as America's Funniest Home Videos, Siskel and Ebert, uh, and Jane Fonda's exercise tapes. And that when Gal Gadot came in to the offices talking about wanting to do something to sort of elevate the voices of women uh, in the industry, he wondered aloud uh, whether she might become the new Jane Fonda and you know, produce a workout series for Quibi. Um, and the quote is apparently her face fell. No shit. Um, yeah, the, the Meg Whitman, Whitman one is a little just more funny in that she says she, even though she's the head of this massive uh, endeavor, originally titled New TV, then it was titled something even worse before they finally ended up on Quibi. I forget what the, the worst thing was. Um, but she said that she wouldn't classify herself as an entertainment enthusiast, but the show she likes, she likes Grant on the History Channel. You know, those hot shows on the History Channel. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird that Quibi isn't doing better, honestly. Are you about to tell me something about Project Blue Book, uh, Ben? <laughs> no, I, I would just say that... that- uh, there are definitely executives scattered throughout the industry who aren't necessarily like like Meg Whitman isn't isn't the creative energy behind the show. She's somebody who's running the business side of things, and there's plenty of executives out there Probably. who also are not entertainment enthusiasts. So while this is a great like, I love that those paragraphs are right next to each other in the story. Like one leads into the other because the ideas are so intertwined. But it does, it is like taking like that example, eliminating her as a backup, and then introducing the real problem, which is that this guy who is supposed to be forming the programming is so stuck in his ways that he can't hear what someone is pitching right in front of him and can only think of old, outdated ideas that don't really apply anymore. So um, uh, yeah. speaking of maybe not old, maybe not outdated, but definitely out of touch ideas, the idea, the name he wanted in between New TV and Quibi. I hope I pronounce this right. Omakase, which is 
his favorite sushi tasting menu at Nobu. That's what he wanted to name the thing for everyone to watch on their phones while they were commuting to work on the, on the subway. Here's what Jeffrey Katzenberg really wanted. He really wanted to create the hotel channel of TV that just like kind of showed you ads and um, trailers for films. Uh, just little, this, those little tidbits, maybe played some jazzy music in the background. Eventually the channel guide pops up which is a relief because that's what you were waiting for the whole time. Um, yeah, I feel like he could have laid out like a flat million and designed that, like been the hotel guy, designer guy, like for every hotel, probably made money on it. Um, but no, we have, we, have, uh, we have Quibi. I mean, I think it's just hard, especially in this, not to get too like outside of the industry, but it's hard to look at the money spent on this, enterprise in our current awful times and not think man this money would have been better spent elsewhere on were, literally if, anything else if you were going to spend nearly two billion dollars or whatever the fuck they spent like maybe spend it on i don't know trying to help the homelessness problem in some of our larger cities or communicable diseases like yeah. anything I think that's. I, I think in that is the one way in which Katzenberg is right to blame COVID for Kobe's failure, because it is gross and offensive to watch that much money wasted on nothing in the midst of a global pandemic in which hundreds of thousands of people are dying. It's 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 underlining our uncomfortable. Uh, relationship with capitalism right now, which there, I don't know that there's ever been a bigger microscope on that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a, that's just a bad bit of timing on Quibi's part. Um, that doesn't take away that it was a terrible idea, terribly executed. The fact that they spent excessively to do it is just the shit cherry on the shit Sunday. And let me be clear. I'm not saying we shouldn't spend money on artistic endeavors because for a lot of us, they've been a welcome escape from, but it's the idea of creating something whole cloth from nothing that is bringing no artistic value. That no one wanted. That no one wanted. No one asked for. No one's watching. Ben, yeah. counterpoint. Why is Quibi great? <laughs> uh, counterpoint, Quibi isn't great, but uh, the argument that, that everyone makes when people pitch these ideas out is that, um, one, nobody was asking for a lot of the innovative, groundbreaking entertainment enterprises that have uh, taken control of our world today. And two, um, when you invest that much money, the idea is that you're going to make back that much more and then be able to share that much more with the world. So with employees, with charities, with various organizations that tie into the entertainment industry so that it would breed more business and breed a better capitalistic society. Um, so again, as devil's advocate, that would be my, uh, my argument for why the 2 billion was well spent guys. You're the worst devil's advocate. Like that was like the worst case for capitalism I've ever heard. I thought uh, it was a pretty good job being yeah, solved if, with a losing argument. Yeah, if <laughs> yeah, like what? I don't know why you had to make the argument at all. You don't even do what he tells to. you to. He I, told I, me to. He's not you, the boss of you. you Wait, you he's not said, the boss. Yeah, you. I mean, I kind of. I'm one level above you on the wrong. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> is Quibi dead yet, you guys? 
No, apparently they have runway. They have runway into 2021 is what the article stated. So, Well, runway, that's good baby. for our sandwich bed. <laughs> Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Anna Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite Arby's order includes a double roast beef sandwich, mozzarella sticks, a Jamocha shake, if so inclined, and of course, curly fries. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So please leave a review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on the air. And if it's bad, we'll do our best to delete it from the internet. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. Even John Berryman. Only John John Berryman, the only poet. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>